Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited today to talk to a, a longtime colleague and a very esteemed member of our industry. In a world of over-corporatization and, uh, and just kind of a, an over-civilization of our, uh, of our pirate industry, I'm really excited to talk to somebody who's, who's really taken a conscious effort to, to kind of go the opposite direction and kind of return our industry to the people. That might sound like an overstatement, but you'll you'll have to see what uh, what Jim has gone and done. I, I find it very uh, inspiring, and and I, I'm really looking forward to hearing like what the the thought process was and the logistics behind this decision. So uh, please welcome Jim Tetlow. He's a president, or uh, we'll find out sooner if he's the former president, principal consultant at Nautilus Entertainment Designer. I'm I'm really excited to hear. A, exactly what your new role is. And hopefully we can talk about that a little bit. Excellent. Uh, former president, uh, now principal consultant and lighting designer. Congratulations on your new, on your new role. Uh, that must Thank be you. very exciting. Yeah, you have a huge smile from ear to ear. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's been in, in the works for, uh, for a number of years. Uh, this, this, uh, this wasn't any uh, quick decision. And what we did is we created uh, what's known as an ESOP, E-S-O-P, an employee stock ownership plan about five years ago. And money that we, uh, my wife and I uh, may have taken home as profit, instead we started pre-funding this account and the purpose of which eventually was to buy the stock from us and then the participants in the plan, the employees, own uh, a shares in the company. So uh, at the time we started it, we, we weren't sure if we were going to sell all the stock or just do it incrementally. But uh, we decided uh, earlier this year to sell all of our stock. And so it's a completely uh, employee-owned company now. That is wonderful. That is definitely not the sort of decision you can just kind of make on the cuff. Like you have to really plan that out and make sure that it's going to, you have to cultivate an idea like that. Exactly, exactly. We, we, when we started it, we also thought it might be a good recruiting tool because not a lot of companies offer it. But in reality, most people don't really understand what it is, <laughs> no matter how, how much you explain it. We also thought it would be a great employee retention tool. And to a certain extent, it did work for that. But the bottom line, if, if somebody uh, is burned out or halfway out the door, they're on the way out the door. Right. Uh, so uh, it, it didn't work quite as well uh, as I thought it might. I, I'm sure it had some impact. And it, we never had any, anybody poached from us 
uh, that was participating in the plan. That uh, that speaks for itself right there. On the on the face, it makes so much sense because everybody who is part of your team is equally invested in making sure that every every venture is successful because everybody benefits. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it. It may be a little bit scary for the employees now because for 30 years, my wife and I have taken all the risk for this. Right. Uh, and, and so there's this new element of risk that most of them haven't had to think about before. <laughs> oh, man. And, and I would imagine that that's what prevents a lot of other people from doing the same ventures because, I mean, you have put in so much time, so much effort, so much investment. I would imagine you would want to maximize what you get back out from it. If you wanted to be greedy, you could take the whole thing and you could easily sell the whole company out from underneath the people that have put in so many years. Yeah, we, uh, we've actually had a couple of offers over the years. The most serious offer was exactly a year ago. We had been in negotiation with a very large international publicly traded engineering firm that was uh, interested in us, not just for the AV and technical system design, but also for the architectural lighting that we do. Uh, It's an area where they needed more support. And we were on track. We were in uh, what's known as due diligence. We were on track for a March 20th closing. And then COVID hit. And so they called me on February 28th and said, we need to put the deal on ice. And then it just never came back. Being a publicly traded firm, they, I believe they didn't want to have to explain to Wall Street why they were investing in a company that's heavily into the cruise ship industry. So <laughs> we, and, and if we had been acquired by, by this firm, then all the money that was in the ESOP would have been distributed to the participants. Because that deal went away, uh, we pivoted and, and said, okay, let, let's put the ESOP back on track. And uh, that's what we did. Right on. I, I can only imagine that that means that everything worked out for the better because you and I both know that, that is a, it's a very clear-cut decision. If somebody wants to give you fair market value or would, I would imagine whatever it was that they had offered, I would imagine it was very attractive. It was, but, yeah. But at the same time, like it's, there's a time that we, uh, in our hearts, we like, we should put people above money sometimes. It's not always the most popular decision. It's not always the most profitable decision, but sometimes, you know, we, those are the things we have to do to, to feel good about ourselves. Yeah. And speaking with the key employees that they really felt that uh, doing the ESOP sale was in their best interest, because if you sell to a very large company, you have no control of what they're going to do to the employees, yet you have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, they, they could lay off half the company, they, they could shut down the office, they could make everybody move to Vegas or, you know, who knows what. Uh, yeah. So, so this really left it in the hands of uh, key employees. So that actually kind of touches on the on just how impossible this would be to make this decision off the cuff is because not only do you have to know that you're selling to the people that you think are going to give your company that you spent 30 years building all the due respect, but you also have to know that your company is going to still respect them. Correct. Uh, Correct. 
I can only imagine that of those 30 years, you took at least the last 15 building the team to treat your, and I'm going to use the term baby for Nautilus, like your, your child, your, your creation. You had to like teach them like, this is how we do it. This is the best way. This is the way these customers want to be treated. This is the way these clients want to be treated. I can only imagine how much trust you had to put in your team. Yeah. You know, we spent a lot of time building a corporate culture standards that I set up 20 years ago have, have just been expanded upon and improved upon by uh, the, the, the people that have come up with us. Cool. can only imagine that every time you hired somebody on board, you kind of had to have this in the back of your mind thinking yeah. you could be the one to take this over from me. Right. Right. And, and I have to tell you, not having to hire anybody else ever again is a real relief. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I don't know if a lot of people realize like when they, I'll back this up a little bit. A lot of people think that like, well, I love lighting. I'm going to open up a lighting firm and I'm going to bring on a bunch of people and we're just going to do lighting. But boy, once you start a lighting firm, you don't get to do a lot of lighting yourself anymore. Next thing you know, you're hiring, you're firing, you're doing right. paperwork. Contracts, you're... right. And next thing you know, everybody else in the company is doing lighting except you. Yeah. 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 I, I've, I've been fortunate that my wife has dealt with the majority of the financial business aspect of the business. And we, we hired a, a lady to be trained and replace her a couple of years ago who was actually our, our banker at uh, Bank of America. My wife mentioned we were expanding. We rented more office space. And she, she, she was at the bank and, and, and our banker said, well, can I come work for you? So, so we, we interviewed her and uh, brought her on. And so obviously she's got a lot of financial background. And my wife spent uh, about two and a half years training her uh, as her replacement. Laura was able to steal somebody away from Bank of America. <laughs> Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, that, uh, that is some, that's some brilliant business work right there. <laughs> uh, how's Laura with the whole uh, transition? I would imagine that, that you guys were both equally vested in the idea. Yes. Oh yeah, completely. And so you are in a position where you kind of got to try out a retirement with this whole pandemic thing for a short amount of time. And then you, you decided like, yeah, I like this. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Somebody uh, said, oh, now, you know, it's two months into the, the lockdown. Oh, now I know what retirement is like. And I, I disagree. Retirement uh, is when you, when you have this freedom to, to, to go to museums and, and go to concerts and go out to lunch and, and do things you want to do. It's, it's not a lockdown. And so I, I think the, the lockdown isn't a fair representation of what true retirement is. No, but I'm not no. retired. So let's, let's, let's not go down that, that track. Right. You, you've just taken a, you've taken a consultant role. You're still primary consultant. Did I say that Principal right? consultant. Principal consultant. Yeah. Which means you still get to do all the lighting and all the fun and go all to all the, am I getting this right? Am I yeah. painting well, the that's, right picture That's here? the idea. That's the idea. Last week and this week, uh, I was working on two different hearing rooms for the House of Representatives, put together a proposal for a, a mega church in Africa, and uh, working on a, uh, uh, some budgeting for a music festival in the, in, in the Middle East that may happen. Doing what I can in the midst of the pandemic. 
Cool. So now you have to take your proposals to Bill and Bill has to uh, once over your ideas. I, I usually run it by them and say, Hey, look, here's what I'm planning and putting in, you know, give it, give it a, a look over. Wow. Yeah. Cool. I would imagine that he's been ready for that for a while. He's like, this is time, <laughs> time to switch the big boy pants. Yeah. And you get to but- unbutton your shirt a few, few notches there. You don't have to wear a tie as often. You can uh, do whatever you want to now. That's it. Congratulations. I would imagine that you had to have a Zoom meeting or something to kind of fill in the entire team that this was going to happen. We didn't have one big company meeting. Had a number of emails. We certainly had been having Zoom management meetings. Uh, Did you have to get a 100% approval rating for this this to happen? Because, I mean, everybody's equally affected. No, that's... (laughs) That's one of the interesting things with the ESOP is another way to, to look at it is we're selling the company to the employees, whether they want it or not. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but but there's, I mean, there's other, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. Uh, you have to have the, the, the company uh, valued by uh, somebody who's an expert in this. Uh, and it all has to be done to, to uh, specific uh, ERISA rules. Uh, and the sale of the company can't be for more than the, the valuation. And right. we needed to uh, hire a specific ERISA employee that understands ESOPs uh, Got it. To, to make it all happen. Cool. Without getting too technical, I would imagine that that meant some people got an email like, congratulations, you are the owner of a company. That's what I, that's exactly what I sent out. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations on your ownership of Nautilus Entertainment Design. (laughs) (laughs) Your responsibilities just went through the roof. Congratulations. Man, I can only imagine that this was not something you had as an idea 30 years ago. This is something that you kind of came up in the last... And, and a so. lot of people refer to it as, as plan B for getting out. Okay. Usually the preferred method is, is to, to sell the company. Uh, but we, we had started working with a broker about 10 years ago, looking down the line of how do we get out? And he said, well, you know, plan B is an ESOP. So we hired somebody to do a feasibility study. And he came back with four or five different ways to do the ESOP. And there's leveraged and there's this, there's that. And we went with just the simplest, simplest way of doing it, of pre-funding an account to purchase the stock. It worked out. Uh, there's there's uh, substantial tax benefits uh, for Laura and me uh, at having sold the stock to the ESOP. Uh, and uh, now the employees have it. That is amazing. Yeah. Every time that they go there, they each and every single one can rightfully say i'm the owner of nautilus entertainment design exactly and everybody i would i would imagine they all have to agree on a figurehead to go make larger decisions and go to do proposals and stuff but you know everybody's equally invested that's yeah that's how companies can work i mean that's you know that's how they used to be i think that was i think that idea was far more prevalent just Two decades ago, you know, when the, the laborers ran the ran the companies. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and and of course, I mean, the other side of this is is such a touch t- tough time to operate a company. 
you know, we're all optimistic that it's, it's going to turn around later in the year. But it's, 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 it's a tough time for them to, to take this on. But, you know, this has been in the works for a while. And, and that's what the, uh, the purpose uh, of the ESOP was, is to uh, buy out my wife and I. And the timing just happened that this is when, it, when we decided to do it. Well done. When I think about it, that's a very scary decision to make. There's a lot of risks for you, for Laura, for all the employees there. But uh, if everybody believes in the, the company, then it, it, I can only imagine it was a, a, sure, a sure bet for everybody. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Well, congratulations. What are your, what are your plans? You still gonna, you're still going to be doing all the, all the parts that you enjoy doing? That's, that's the idea. Certainly hope the shows come back later in the year. Look forward to that. Projects that interest me, I certainly uh, want to keep working on. Really don't have any uh, uh, plans to stop doing that. But it just by virtue of the fact that I, I won't be in a management, management position, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, less stress and a little more time off. Right on. That sounds very fun. Should the Muppets come up and they, they, they need you back? Would you, would you go back? <laughs> oh, yeah. In a minute. In a minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, was it but, Muppets you know, or Sesame Street? Did I get that right? Uh, and, and beyond Sesame Street, uh, I also, uh, in the 1980s in New York, did a lot, a lot of work, experimental work with Jim Henson. He had a, uh, two townhouses on the east side, on the Upper East Side. One was corporate offices, and the other one was where they, they made Muppets and they made costumes and all that. And we built a studio on the ground floor of the carriage house and uh, put in a pipe grid, 200 amp disconnect. And uh, he did a lot of test shoots in there for chroma key and different effects. And that, that was really a lot of fun. Awesome. Those were, those were the times where everybody was just kind of making up their own rules there. Like every, every employee was the owner because that's the only way, you know, we didn't really have a structure back then. We just like, yeah, let's light things and make things look pretty. Yeah. Yeah. We were far more uh, a bunch of pirates than in Muppetry, in uh, puppetry and in uh, out on the cruise ships. We were, everybody was just kind of making it up. There were, there were no real rules. We were just kind of making them up then. Right. I, I came into the, the, the cruise ship industry at a, at a real interesting time. One morning, summer of 91, 30 years ago, I got a phone call. Didn't have a cell phone then. Home phone rang in Los Angeles. And on the line were two executives from Carnival Cruise Lines that wanted to know if I'd like to come light a show on a ship. I didn't even know they, they did shows on ships. I'd never been on a ship. I had no idea. <laughs> but they'd seen a show uh, that I'd lit in Las Vegas at, at the Stardust, Enter the Night, and they were quite taken with it. So they, they tracked me down. I, I guess they dialed 411 because, you know, <laughs> it's not like you could go search LinkedIn or anything. So yeah. uh, I was intrigued. So I did a short cruise with them to, to see the shows, and, and, and they were pretty dreadful, lighting was. We hit it off, and so I did a show for them on a, on a new ship, and then another one, another one. And then they asked me to consult on a new class of ships being built in Italy. And at that point, there really wasn't an entertainment, technical entertainment system consultant for the ships. So it was really an opportunity to develop that and, and set up the standards of, of what we do, how we do it, and all that. And uh, 
Uh, I've backed away from the ship slowly over the past several years, but I I think the guys that have uh, picked it up and taken it over are are probably even doing a better job than what I established all that time ago. But it was was an incredible time of opportunity to do that. And it, I was really intrigued with it. Um, It it meant I had to turn down some other projects because I was going to Europe about once a month for a long time meetings with the shipyards, inspections and all that. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I found it interesting and, and it's what allowed us uh, to build uh, the company. Man, those must've been really rough times. Cause even, you know, I was doing cruise ships five or six years ago, 10 to five years ago, and there's still not really much of a standardization across the cruise ships. There's, there's really, you know, there's such an international project that there's really no standards out there you know i would imagine that there it's we're progressing towards some form of standardization but i can only imagine you just had to make things up as you were going you just like well what yeah. sort of power do we need i don't know whatever whatever's cheapest in the shipyard let's do it <laughs> yeah 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 uh, I, I, of course every brand that we work with had different priorities or different desires. Uh, right. uh, Carnival uh, maybe wants high-end fixtures. Uh, Costa wants Verilites uh, or Clay Packy. Uh, uh, Princess wants something else. So, uh, and they, they each have their own reasons for it. And a lot of it has to do with who gives them the best service and the best maintenance. Right. Which is something you have. To, it, it's, it's not necessarily the best feature set. Of, of, of each light. It's more of who do we get service from? Who's going to support us? And, and how do we keep these, these fixtures operating as long as possible? Yeah. Back then it was very uh, nationalist too. Like if the designers were French, they wanted French fixtures. And if the designers were American, they wanted American fixtures. And it, not basically because they were the best, but sometimes it was because the, the manual came in their chosen language. And that was, that was enough for them. Like that's, if I want to work on these lights, it has to be in French. Let's mm. get the French fixtures. Luckily, thanks to translation, a lot of that's changed, though. Right. right. Man, we've come a long way in 30 years. Yeah. 1990s when you started Nautilus? Correct. Congratulations. That's uh, 30 years well spent. I, I hope that uh, you're able to spend the next 30 doing everything that your heart <laughs> desires. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Jim. Thank you, Chris. I enjoyed it.